In the last podcast, we spoke with biochemistry wizard Doris Lowe and delved deep into what's actually happening in the COVID-19 related acute respiratory distress and why there is impeccable logic to put vitamin C as ascorbic acid in the center of a treatment strategy. Now, in this podcast, I'm talking with the world's leading expert in vitamin C studies, Professor Hari Hemler from the Department of Public Health at the University of Helsinki to establish exactly what has already been shown in studies relating to vitamin C, because he is the king of the evidence base and has been on the case for the past 40 years. No one knows the science of vitamin C studies better than him. Um, welcome, Professor Hari Himla. Uh, thank you very much. And um, before we get into the evidence base for vitamin C, colds, flu, and infections, I see you are both a medical doctor as well as adjunct professor of public health. So do you see patients and are you seeing much increase in COVID-19 in Finland and people going into ICU? My own work as a clinician is at the general practice level. So I'm not working at hospital. And actually this uh, COVID-19 has made my work uh, less uh, effective because people are uh, restricted to their homes so that they don't get so much accidents and ordinary infections. Uh, we are not having as many cases here in Finland compared to some other countries. We have had lots of restrictions in movements and restaurants and so on. And um, in your general practice, if a patient is admitted or has flu, the early stages of flu, do you give vitamin C and how much do you give? I instruct uh, patients to start taking vitamin C about six grams per day or more uh, when the pa patient has uh, started to have the symptoms today or yesterday. I don't instruct patients to take vitamin C if uh, the cold has been lasting for a week or something like that. I don't believe that there is any basis to explain benefit at such late stages. That's uh, certainly been my experience. And are you giving those six grams or recommending the six grams one an hour or one every two hours? Uh, I instruct to divide that equally over the day, but I don't say anything about the hours. Okay. And of course, we're hearing about trials going on right now in China uh, and also now in Italy, um, giving in the region of 10 grams that's 10,000 milligrams of vitamin C twice daily intravenously for those in ICU on ventilators. In fact, in China, this has now become a countrywide recommendation endorsed by the Shanghai Medical Association. Can you as a doctor see, could there be any interaction or contraindication uh, with other usual treatments in these acute situations? Is it safe? I don't think that we should be uh, afraid of such doses such as uh, 10 grams per day. Uh, there are some cases of uh, deaths caused by high doses of vitamin C, but they have been about 100 or 200 uh, grams of vitamin C. So uh, there, there are some special, special cases, uh, some uh, kidney diseases or uh, some genetic uh, glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase, which uh, can cause problems with vitamin C. But uh, uh, if we think ordinary patients, uh, I don't think we should be worried. Uh, 10 grams is not high on that kind of scale. And is it possible that this um, uh, uh, treatment might lead to less need for some of the heavy-duty medications, uh, which do have some adverse effects? Uh, it is hard to say how this can influence the other treatments. Uh, I, mean, I mean that we have, uh, of course, uh, different uh, rationales for uh, treatments. For example, if mm. a patient has pneumonia and antibiotics, I don't see that... Uh, vitamin C has any influence on the need for antibiotics. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the two can go side by side, no problem. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, getting back to really your area of expertise, when I search on your name and vitamin C in the medical literature, I find 76 papers since 1984. Um, when did you first get interested in vitamin C and what was it that got you uh, so interested in this uh, molecule? Uh, that, was, that was trying to put the long story short. Uh, that was one television program in Finnish television. I think it was late 1970s or uh, early 80s. And there was Linus Pauling, Nobel Prize winner, who was speaking for vitamin C. And he had names and years and uh, effects of vitamin C for treating the common cold. So he was very convincing. After some weeks later, there was a pro program about uh, the common cold, and then there was a professor of virology who had taken a, a bottle of vitamin C with him, and he said that this is just garbage junk. It doesn't have any effect of, on the common cold. I cannot think that uh, professors of virology are, are very unwise people in general. So that was very uh, confusing situation. How can two uh, clever people be so opposite in their conclusions? And uh, that was the reason why I started to find out those studies and read them myself. And, I thought that one of them is wrong or another possibility is that both of them are wrong. And I think that uh, Pauling was less wrong, but uh, his error was that he was too optimistic. But this uh, professor of virology and uh, physicians in general, they are much more wrong when they are just thinking that vitamin C is for scurvy. Did you ever meet Dr. Linus Pauling? No, uh, actually, I wrote some letter to him, and he politely uh, responded uh, very briefly, but uh, I have not met him. Yes, I met him in the uh, 1980s, and actually was the last person to film him shortly before his death, when he was working on lipoprotein A in relation to uh, vitamin C and cardiovascular disease, and he became the patron of our Institute for Optimum Nutrition. He was uh, really a lovely man, and I've never met anybody brighter. He was so sharp, right to the end. Very interesting. Now, one of the first researchers on vitamin C and infections was uh, Dr. Frederick Klenner, uh, who died in 1984. Uh, what was the beginning of the idea? Uh, what, what were the earliest studies that high amounts of vitamin C could lessen colds? Actually, the, the story goes much further behind in time uh, compared to Klenner. When, when uh, scurvy was the problem, there were strong associations that patients with scurvy had pneumonia. So if we are turning this uh, finding around, we can ask that uh, by, uh, by, uh, the reason which is explanation for scurvy can also influence pneumonia. Uh, but I, I think that the problem was that uh, uh, when vitamin C was found, uh, people just were thinking that it was the explanation for scurvy, and that's that. Mm. But when I have been reading the literature, there are lots of studies in uh, late uh, 30s and uh, also in the 40s, which were uh, for uh, vitamin C and infections. Uh, so it's not... Uh, Klenner is the most famous in, in USA for uh, proposing vitamin C, but uh, the, the, there was lots, quite wide interest and uh, also very much interest in German countries. But of course, uh, English-speaking people don't uh, read those old papers. I was very impressed by uh, some of the studies of people like uh, Frederick Klenner, but of course that was back in the days when they weren't doing placebo-controlled trials, uh, you know, in the way that we now do randomized placebo-controlled trials where uh, the, the subject doesn't know if they're on the vitamin C or the placebo. So some of these earlier studies tend to get um, ignored. Uh, but there's some useful data there, isn't there? I find that very interesting, but uh, uh, 
of, of course, there is some problem that there are people who are over enthusiastic for vitamin C and they are taking those old studies as some kind of evidence. But I, I wouldn't say that they are ev ed any evidence for vitamin C, but they are very interesting when we consider where uh, this vitamin C field is coming from. And uh, of course, uh, even if we are interested in controlled trials nowadays, that doesn't mean that uh, all case uh, studies are useless. In some cases, they are, uh, the effects are very dramatic and, uh, for example, the condition of a person can uh, be quite a long time, quite stable, and when there is a change, for example, caused by vitamin C, we, we can trust that much more than uh, some other cases. Now, I've been saying for the last 20 years that vitamin C won't protect you from getting less colds. You do not get a lesser number of colds, but provided you have the dose sufficient, and I, I actually recommend six grams a day, uh, it certainly or is very likely to reduce the severity and the duration of a cold. Is this right? Yeah, that's my conclusion. Uh, in our Cochrane review, we uh, calculated that uh, uh, when we look at that general community, there is no evidence that uh, vitamin C reduces the incidence of colds. Of course, here we also must be somewhat cautious because uh, people are different. So I don't think we should uh, draw a conclusion that no one ever can uh, find benefit in preventing calls, but we, we cannot recommend that it is any kind of me method for ordinary people. But uh, there has been a very strong consistency in the effect of vitamin C in uh, alleviating those colds uh, that occur when people are taking vitamin C. So that, that is very strong evidence. Now, I want to say here for the listeners that in all the time I've been in nutrition, uh, Professor Harry Hemler has always been um, fundamentally very, very clear on the effects of the studies, their shortfalls, and really does the statistics correctly. Uh, he has never appeared to be either an optimist or a pessimist or having you know, personal views or subjective views, but just stating the science as it is recorded. So that is why, um, Harry, I really respect and have admired your work for so long, because I know that if you say something is happening in the science, it is happening. Uh, thank you very much. When that topic is such controversial as vitamin C uh, for uh, non-scurvy diseases, uh, it's quite obvious that one must be very careful I mean that uh, if I am too optimistic, for example, uh, people uh, don't trust my uh, analysis. So uh, I have tried my best to be very careful in formulating my conclusions. Yes, and talking about that, why does this myth that vitamin C has been proven useless uh, for colds exist? I've had many a debate with medics who've usually cited your meta-analyses. Even today on Sky News in the UK, a dietitian was saying vitamin C is absolutely useless. Did the science change at any point, or are they just not reading um, your meta-analyses, which are the most thorough on the subject? Uh, I think there are many kinds of explanations for this. One... <clears throat> When I started work on vitamin C in early 90s, uh, I was wondering why do people believe that vitamin C is useless for colds? And then I uh, was looking at the textbooks and I found that the standard references were two reviews on vitamin C and the common code from the year 1975. And I was reading them carefully and I uh, found that there were, lots, there were lots of errors in those reviews but they had been influencing the textbook authors and, of course, the readers of those textbooks. I wrote two papers where I showed those errors, and I thought that people might become interested in vitamin C when I had shown, shown that they shouldn't trust on those reviews. But uh, I was surprised to find out that uh, no one was any more interested. Uh, and... Uh, 
when I wrote this Cochrane review, I thought that it could change the opinion of many people because I I was able to show that uh, there was strong evidence that vitamin C uh, makes colds shorter and alleviates them. But uh, it seems that many people are just taking that part of my uh, review where I am saying that uh, vitamin C is not uh, reducing the incidence of cold. So they, it seems that they are not properly reading. They are just uh, taking some parts which are consistent with their own beliefs. Um, by the way, the Cochrane uh, review process, the Cochrane collaboration is a, uh, an attempt uh, to find a way to really properly uh, look at all studies, review all studies, combine the data, pull the data. And uh, uh, Professor Harry Hemler uh, uh, did a Cochrane review, which was updated in 2013. Now, I remember at that time being interviewed by the BBC, and they asked me the question about uh, vitamin C in colds. And I said, uh, while you won't get a lesser number of colds, uh, if you take vitamin C at the appropriate dose, you will get shorter colds and the colds will be less severe. And they said, well, that's very good, but could you please leave out the last two parts and, <laughs> and just say the first part? And we had about five or six takes, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't let them uh, uh, do that because it just wasn't accurate. And of course, when you think about it, all the cold remedies that are being sold, uh, Lemsip and everything else, they're all about you know, making you feel better during the cold. And if a cold is both shorter and less severe, I mean, it may not be a, a cure for the common cold in the sense that, you know, you still have a cold, uh, but obviously you are feeling better. So going a little bit closer, in terms of severity and in relation to dosage, what can we now conclude from all the studies? Uh, <clears throat> these... Uh when, when I say that there is very strong evidence that vitamin C has effects on colds, that is based on regular supplementation studies. That means that uh, uh, people are given vitamin C every day for a month or several months, for example. Uh, but here we, of course, uh, need to ask whether it is worthwhile to take every day three or six grams, as you are proposing, in order to shorten those colds that occur uh, when one is taking the supplement. Uh, and uh, it seems reason much more reasonable that people take vitamin C therapeutically, so that when the symptoms are starting, then they are taking large doses. We are reviewing this uh, therapeutic studies in our Cochrane review, and uh, there is no consistent benefit. So that is, of course, puzzling that uh, regular supplementation studies show clear uh, evidence of benefit, but therapeutic studies don't. However, yeah, we sorry. have the, the problem that these therapeutic studies have uh, methodological variations. Uh, some of them were very short, so that people were given vitamin C only two or three days. And some of them started giving vitamin C uh, later, so that they were not starting that immediately when the symptoms started. And uh, the doses have been uh, mostly some two to three grams per day. So I don't think that we should draw two negative conclusions of those therapeutic studies. So my, my own view is that it should be studied uh, with with a new controlled trials and with higher doses and starting vitamin C immediately. But these therapeutic studies do not refute the positive findings with the uh, regular supplementation studies. And do we have any studies giving, you know, around the six grams a day uh, on the very first day? And if so, what have they tended to show in terms of severity and also possibly duration? Uh, as far as I uh, recollect, uh, there has not been six grams per day in these therapeutic studies. Uh, there are not so many of them, and uh, uh, the overall finding of them is negative. But as I said, uh, I think we should not overinterpret them. We should have new studies, but uh, we don't have any good answers. And why is no one doing uh, you know, new studies? 
it seems such a, I mean, to me, I would ask you, you know, what, what is the study that needs to be done in relation to colds and vitamin C? That, that is a very good question. And, uh, uh, I don't have very good answer. I think that the, the best answer is that uh, it is so deep-rooted the belief that vitamin C cannot be beneficial for any conditions other than scurvy. So, I mean, that uh, it seems to be the uh, most reasonable explanation. For example, now that we have the new coronavirus and uh, WHO and uh, other organizations are uh, interested in in some kind of non-conventional treatments, but uh, I have not read anywhere that they are interested in vitamin C. It seems that they are, they are just preconceptions. And, and for my own part, I have been interested in carrying out a trial on vitamin C, but uh, the problem is that the jurisdiction around these controlled trials, it's currently very complex. It has been uh, getting more complex with years. So, so that uh, it's it's uh, possible only mainly for uh, drug companies to carry out such trials. Uh, they're also quite expensive, aren't they? And there's the whole question of who would fund such a trial. Well, if you think uh, therapeutic trials, you don't need. It is quite different situation. For example, if you are doing a prevention trial, so that you are every day giving six grams per day for people for months. But if you have a therapeutic trial, uh, you are treating people for a week or something like that. And uh, it doesn't, vitamin C is cheap, so it doesn't cost so much. Uh, so I, I don't think that the cost for vitamin C or organization in this kind of situation is the bottleneck. But, uh, I think the biggest problem is, is that jurisdiction. Mm. And uh, quoting your word in uh, quite a few of your papers, uh, you say that the Anderson uh, studies were particularly interesting. Could you perhaps refer to the Anderson studies? Uh, Terence Anderson was professor of uh, statistics at the University of Toronto in early uh, 1970s. And uh, uh, another professor, uh, Beaton, had uh, criticized Pauling's book uh, about uh, vitamin C and the common code. And uh, uh, it seems that this uh, Anderson and Beaton decided together that uh, uh, if they don't trust those old studies, why don't they carry out a new study by themselves? And uh, they they had the reasoning that they are disproving Pauling's hypothesis that vitamin C is a beneficial cause. And when they carried out with the large study, they found that vitamin C was actually beneficial. And uh, then they carried out a second trial where they were too ambitious. They had too, several, too many, they have totally eight uh, study groups. And that makes the study too complex. So the findings of this second study, uh, they are not as clear as the first study. But they had a vitamin C still available, and they made a third study, which was a therapeutic study. And there they found therapeutic benefit of vitamin C. But of these three studies, the first one is the most interesting because there was uh, there were several subgroups and. Uh, and uh, they could analyze how the effect of vitamin C may vary between people. And did they find us uh, a dose effect? They had a fixed dose, so they couldn't compare that. But uh, for example, as far as I remember, vitamin C was better for, more effective for uh, adults who had contact with children. And uh, there were some other interesting we, which is very uh, interesting because we know that children are the source for viruses. In children, uh, common colds are much more common compared to adults. I'm just actually reading something I wrote linked to one of your studies, which says in two studies <clears throat> giving placebo, three to four grams versus six to eight grams 
on the first day, the duration of colds was 10% shorter with 3 to 4 grams and 20% shorter with 6 to 8 grams on the first day. In those taking 8 grams on the first day, 46% had symptoms that only lasted for one day. Is that with those the Anderson papers? Uh, there are two studies which have compared different doses. That <clears throat> the sec second Anderson paper uh, compared 8 grams and 4 grams. The first Anderson uh, uh, study, they had a, a regular dose, 1 gram per day, and then they increased uh, that by 3 grams when person had a cold. Uh, the second Anderson study had these uh, 4 grams and 8 grams uh, only on the first day of the cold, and the 8 grams was significantly better compared to the 4 grams. Then there is another study which compared two doses so that uh, uh, they compared randomized groups. Uh, and uh, in that study, that was by Karlovsky in 1975, and in that study, 6 grams was more be beneficial compared to 3 grams. Mm. We, we should not over-interpret these findings, as I have emphasized earlier. These, uh, both of these found that the higher dose was better, but uh, the evidence is not so conclusive that we should uh, take this as some kind of final evidence that... Uh, mm. uh, in, in all contexts, uh, 6 and 8 grams are better. And but when we are looking at these doses and the effects, we can also ask, uh, what about uh, 10 grams or 15 grams or 20 grams? When there is such uh, dose response as we find in these two studies, it is quite obvious that the therapeutic studies should use doses that are higher than 10 grams. Yeah, I mean, what I, what I personally do when, when I get the first sign of, of cold or flu symptoms is I take a gram an hour, and I just do yeah. that until I have no more symptoms. And I found in almost every case, I will become symptom-free within 48 hours, usually 24 hours. I think that is uh, quite reasonable, and uh, I think it is worth uh, worthwhile using that kind of approach, but it is very difficult to... Uh, to uh, ma make any kind of uh, official recommendation for, about that kind of approach when there is no direct controlled trial evidence. And if you were doing designing a trial um, to answer this kind of question, what what I mean, how would you? I mean, what would you do? What dose would you use? How frequent? What would be the main uh, design that you are thinking of? Well, it's, it is actually quite close to what you described, so that when a person starts to have sore throat or uh, nose running, uh, he or she should start taking uh, regular vitamin C, for example, one gram per every hour. Uh, the main problem of vitamin C is that if we are taking too much of it, then our bubbles gets loose, we can get diarrhea. Mm -hmm. That is not dangerous, but of course, if one uh, starts to have such a feeling, one can uh, uh, make the delay between vitamin C doses uh, longer. Uh, I think that would be the kind of uh, study I, I would like to do. Now, um, and that bowel tolerance, I mean, often this is Cathcart, uh, Dr. Cathcart, yeah. Robert Cathcart, he spoke about that. Uh, in many different situations, but particularly in treating infections, to go up to the level uh, that gives you that loose bowels, diarrhea, and then down some, because obviously you don't want to be to be doing that. Now, I just want to ask you one question, which has slightly puzzled me. I remember seeing a study um, of uh, by Gorton and Jarvis, I'm sure you know it, in 1999, uh, 463 students aged 18 to 32, and they were given either one gram of vitamin C every hour for the first six hours of a cold or flu, so six grams in the first day, and then three grams thereafter. Or they were assigned to a group that just had regular pain relievers and decongestants. Now, they reported uh, that flu and cold symptoms in the test group decreased by 85% compared with the control group. But I don't think you... I may be wrong here. I don't think you used that study uh, in your 
in your analyses. Uh, is there a reason for that? Uh, if I am not uh, incorrect, they were carrying one of those uh, studies on one winter and another uh, on another winter. So mm -hmm. uh, so some of those uh, studies have been very confusing because uh, when we have uh, such kind of disease as the common cold, uh, we have different viruses each year ah. and we have also variation between uh, different areas, uh, mm. that means geography. Uh, there are some studies, I don't remember two or something like that, which have been giving vitamin C one winter and uh, using control group for an another winter and we simply can't uh, draw any conclusions from those studies. As far as I remember, it is possible that this Jarvis study is one of those. Okay, well that, that certainly makes sense. Now, while we know that taking a gram of vitamin C every day for 365 days of a year uh, is not really warranted from the point of view of colds and flu, I, I want to stress here that there's very good evidence that it has benefits in other areas such as cardiovascular disease, but uh, if a person gets two colds a year that maybe lasts for five days, should you really be taking medicine for three 365 days a year. However, um, here we are right in the middle of a pandemic, COVID-19. Um, do you think people should be taking vitamin C right now, uh, even if they do not have symptoms? Is there any advantage in doing that? Uh, my view is that it's, uh, it surely makes much sense. I mean that if we think of those ordinary colds when people have a nose running and uh, if that is a little bit shorter, that really doesn't matter. Uh, but when we have this kind of uh, more severe virus, such as this uh, new coronavirus, uh, I think it's absolutely reasonable that uh, a person takes uh, vitamin C every day. Even if that uh, benefit is limited, that is the best we can do. Of course, we have these classical uh, approaches that we are washing our hands and so on, but uh, if we think of uh, this kind of approach that uh, vitamin C does have effects on respiratory viruses, why not take use of that kind of approach? And are you We don't know whether vitamin C specifically has effects on the uh, coronavirus, but uh, uh, if we think of this group of the common cold, it is caused by numerous viruses and we cannot uh, assume that there is some single virus on which vitamin C is effective. And are you taking vitamin C every day? And if so, how much? Just out of interest. Uh, this uh, winter I'm taking every day vitamin C, maybe some one to two grams per day. Uh, that is not constant. <laughs> that varies a little bit uh, yeah. about my feelings. That's exactly what I do. I take two grams a day. I've seen people knee jerk and go, you know, and taking a lot more. And I say, don't bother. You know, yeah. take, take two grams a day, but make sure you've got a good supply. Because if you do yeah. get symptoms, uh, take a gram an hour is my recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. When we are looking at the uh, response of uh, blood, vitamin C level compared to the dose, uh, that gets uh, to saturation at about half a gram to one gram doses. So uh, uh, vitamin C is so cheap that it really doesn't matter if uh, one is taking one gram or two grams, but uh, I don't think there is any uh, ju justification to go to doses that are uh, higher. Uh, now, as I understand it, it's not so much the coronavirus uh, that is killing people now, but the oxidative and inflammatory reaction in the lungs causing what's known as acute respiratory distress syndrome, or ARDS, which is akin to pneumonia. And this is resulting in the need for the patient to be put into uh, intensive care unit, ICU, on mechanical ventilation. Now, while we don't have studies yet on COVID-19, as such, we do have studies on vitamin C and ARDS and pneumonia and time spent in ICU and uh, time spent on mechanical ventilators. What is the evidence to date regarding these? 
there are two uh, controlled trials on vitamin C and pneumonia. One was actually in the United Kingdom. They were giving uh, 0.2 grams of vitamin C uh, to older patients who were taken to hospital for pneumonia, and uh, uh, they found benefit. And it's quite interesting that the dose was such low in that study. Then there is a Russian study, which is very poorly described, but, but there they found benefit of vitamin C for pneumonia. Uh, I, I wouldn't put very much weight on these two studies. Uh, they are small, and the uh, Russian study is, is methodologically not very good, but they are consistent with the uh, finding that scurvy increases the risk of pneumonia. So it's not just these uh, controlled trials. And what about uh, ICU and mechanical ventilator use? Any studies uh, in that area? Yeah. Uh, a few years ago, I carried out an analysis of vitamin C for uh, post-operative atrial fibrillation. And uh, there had been some studies, and I thought that it is reasonable to carry out a formal a thorough meta-analysis. And in that analysis, I found that uh, vitamin C made uh, ICU stay shorter, and it also made hospital stay shorter. Uh, but I, I didn't uh, continue that further on that context. But uh, one year, year ago, I published a paper where I was uh, uh, formally anal analyzing all studies that had been analyzing ICU stay uh, for uh, vitamin C effect. And uh, there was a very strong effect that on average vitamin C made ICU stay 8% shorter. Of course, that is not very dramatic. It is quite uh, same size actually that what is the effect of vitamin C on the duration of colds in adults. It's also 8%. But of course, if we think of the context and the uh, expenses of ICU uh, stay, uh, that can have very much importance. Uh, some two months ago, I published a paper where I analyzed the effect of vitamin C on mechanical ventilation for critically ill patients. And there was a strong overall evidence of benefit, but I also showed that uh, uh, that benefit depended how sick the people were. So many of these ventilation studies usually patients where uh, people had been going to routine cardiac surgery and they were for a short time in mechanical ventilation and there was no evidence of uh, benefit from vitamin C but then there were other studies which uh, used mechanical ventilation for 100 hours or longer, and there was very strong evidence of benefit. So it seems that uh, when we have more severe disease, uh, there is more oxidative stress in the body, and in such conditions we get much benefit of vitamin C, but not in the uh, mild cases. For example, when ICU is used just for uh, checking that a person is uh, fine after a routine operation. So, uh, I mean, the whole purpose of all of this science is to guide clinicians. And right now we have people who are staying in ICU for many days uh, and, uh, and also on mechanical ventilators and, you know, quite a large percentage, maybe half, uh, in those chronic situations are not surviving. Uh, is the science really telling us now that uh, we should, in ICU, in hospitals, uh, in people on mechanical ventilation, be giving vitamin C now? Well, uh, I would ask that question uh, around so that uh, why not? Mm -hmm. uh, I mean that if we if if we consider that the vitamin C is very cheap. And uh, in the doses which we are discussing here, it is safe. So that those harms which have been reported, they have been coming from some 100 grams or something like that. But, uh, but uh, the doses between some 5 to 10 grams per day, they are, they are safe. So I would turn the question around that why are people not 
uh, patients are not given vitamin C. But of course, we must, uh, we, we can think this uh, context also uh, from the side of the medicine, so that if there is some unconventional treatment, uh, physicians are not quite willing to take uh, that kind of treatments uh, uh, when there is no uh, direct evidence that vitamin C is beneficial for ICU treatment of those corona patients. Mm. But we can, of course, use the argument that it is uh, beneficial for uh, non-specific ICU treatments mm -hmm. and non-specific uh, mechanical ventilation. Yes, I mean, I've been advising uh, people whose relatives are going into hospital in, the, in a pretty serious condition to uh, take in and have them take at least six grams a day, ideally a gram an hour. But of course, once you're into mechanical ventilators, it's going to need intravenous. It's, you know, because of the ventilator. Yeah, that, that is, of course, the problem that uh, when a person is at home and uh, I am having a common cold, it is my own decision what I am doing. And if I want to take 10 grams of vitamin C every day for my own cold, uh, that's my own decision. But when, when it's at hospital and in particular in ICU with uh, mechanical ventilation, uh, you are not making your own decisions. Mm. Now, turning away from vitamin C, I know you've published a meta-analysis on zinc, uh, zinc lozenges and colds. What did you find in that study of studies? I actually, uh, I have five to six meta-analyses on uh, zinc lozenges and the common code, and uh, they have different approaches. Uh, two of them were analyzing zinc acetate lozenges, and uh, I showed that uh, zinc lozenges increases recovery rate from the code uh, threefold. Uh, and threefold. What do you mean by threefold? That means that uh, when we are looking how many people are being recovered on some uh, day four or day five, it is uh, three times higher in the zinc losing group. Well, that's quite a big but, 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 but that, that does not turn uh, around so that we could say that uh, codes are getting 70% shorter because mm -hmm. there is a delay be before the effect is starting. So if we look at the duration of codes, it is getting some 30 percent uh, shorter in the zinc losing groups. Mm -hmm. There are totally eight uh, studies with zinc losing which have found significant benefit. There are some uh, studies which have not found benefit, but there are explanations for most of those uh, negative studies. The zinc doses have been low, and in some cases uh, they have been using zinc citrate uh, Zinc losing is with citric acid, uh, and the problem with citric acid is that it is binding zinc so effectively that uh, zinc is not being released in, in the oral region. Mm -hmm. So uh, there are negative studies, uh, but we have explanations for essentially all of all of them. So uh, the evidence is very strong that zinc losses are effective for treating cold. Uh, if we are thinking of this uh, new coronavirus, uh, uh, I think that we don't have any reason to assume that the zinc has no effects on the uh, coronavirus, but uh, the zinc is not, uh, I, I don't believe that it has relevance in the hospital stage. I think it may be more relevant in the early stages. But the problem with the zinc losses is that they are not uh, many good losses on the market. Many of the losses that are on the market, they have citric acid or the doses of zinc are very low. So there is very strong evidence that for the concept that zinc is good, but it's not very easy to uh, take benefit of this finding by going to a shop and trying to find losses. Now, last year you published an actual study, not a study of studies, um, but what I thought was a very well-designed study on uh, zinc lozenges, uh, what prompted you to do this study? Uh, is this a move into clinical research? And uh, what were your results? 
that was actually published early this year. So mm -hmm. uh, I had been discussing at university with uh, a few colleagues that uh, when there is such evidence, why don't we carry out a study of our own? Uh, I was able to agree with a drug company, so they gave lozenges, Finnish lozenges to us for the study. And uh, there I faced the bureaucracy, the jurisdiction, which was quite complex. But our uh, very, very good luck was that uh, because this was a box of zinc lozenges, it had this uh, label CE, which makes it a uh, mechanical product, and it is not a drug. And that was making it much easier to get permission to carry out the study. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, we didn't find benefit of zinc in that study. And uh, we have some potential explanations. And one is dose was a little bit low and the uh, duration was five days, whereas it has been uh, up to two weeks in some earlier studies. and. Uh, uh, so, I, I don't think that this study refutes those eight studies which have been positive, but uh, of course our own study illustrates the problem that uh, the lozenges that are on the market, they are not necessarily uh, beneficial. But then there was one very interesting finding in our study. So, we had a five-day treatment and uh, there was no difference between placebo and zinc group during your five days. But after the five days, there was less recovery in the zinc group. That was quite puzzling, but then I realized that it is quite possibly the rebound effect, which is known in pharmacology, so that if you are stopping a treatment, then you can get harm. So it seems that uh, this was an uh, visualization of the effect of zinc, but it was in the opposite direction when the zinc treatment was stopped. How oh, very puzzling. And you mentioned the form. So are you saying, is, is any form of zinc okay except the zinc citrate? What do you think is the best form to be using? This is, by the way, specifically in lozenges. So you're looking at a release in the mouth. This is not, not really about as with vitamin C, getting getting it into your bloodstream. That may not be the only mechanism of effect. Uh, the studies that have found positive effects, they, they have been using zinc acetate and zinc gluconate. Mm -hmm. And uh, as far as I have been analyzing, there is no evidence that there is a difference in the effect of those kinds of lozenges. But the evidence is stronger for zinc acetate. Now, there are other nutrients um, that uh, have been shown to have effects in relation to colds. Uh, are there any that you're interested in, uh, possibly for further exploration? One that comes to mind is black elderberry. That seems to have quite a few good studies, even on flu, and certainly some very good uh, mechanistic studies suggesting an effect. My hands have been so full with uh, vitamin C and zinc, so... I have not had a time to uh, look at any other uh, other topics. Uh, I believe that there are uh, interesting other to topics also. Uh, as far as I have been taking quite superficial look at echinacea, uh, there seems to be uh, evidence that uh, it is also beneficial. But for echinacea, the problem is that uh, uh, it is not a constant product. If I am going to a shop and I buy one gram vitamin C tablets, it's quite uh, clear that uh, what, what I am buying. But as I said, for zinc lozenges, they, there is lots of variation in the lozenges. And the same problem is uh, also uh, exist, exists for uh, echinacea. So there are different kinds of uh, versions if one is trying to use echinacea for treating colds. And, if one study is finding benefit, we don't know whether that applies to the product you are buying from a shop. Now, I, we have to start winding up. I know you have a busy day. I know you have to uh, also uh, uh, do your clinical work and, and see patients. But you've spent 40 years. I mean, I really admire your tenacity because you've spent 40 years very, very thoroughly analyzing the science, publishing papers, uh, so many papers, 
And uh, I've seen some of the letters that you've written uh, to the medical journals. It does seem still, certainly here in the UK, uh, that, that, that this evidence is being largely ignored. Uh, there just seems to be a knee-jerk reaction in the media and in the medical profession that says vitamin C does absolutely nothing. Uh, it must be a bit disappointing for you. How do you, uh, how do you have the motivation to keep going and keep, uh, you know, clearly analyzing the science and pushing forward? That is a very good question. And it is true that in some situations, there has been quite a big frustration and anxiety because uh, I ha when I have found that it is so difficult to influence that, uh, readerships. But uh, one uh, very important uh, factor which uh, makes me go forward is that uh, I have been inventing new ideas. I mean that uh, uh, this idea to analyze those ventilation studies, I got that about one year ago. So that was a project for about one year. And uh, currently I, I am analyzing studies about the effect of vitamin C on uh, ejection fraction of ve left ventricle, and that's also very interesting. So it keeps me going. And we hope uh, in, in a year or so, uh, we've got one study going on in Italy with the intravenous vitamin C. We've got, I've been told, three studies in China, although I can only find one on the uh, GovTrials website. Uh, so I think you're going to have some more um, evidence to look at. Uh, to to really, and maybe, I mean, I hope one of the terrible uh, benefits uh, of this uh, COVID-19 pandemic is maybe, I seriously hope, it's going to put vitamin C uh, properly back on the map. So you're, you're going to have work to do, and I just know we need to wrap up. I want to thank you immensely uh, for your tremendous contribution, and uh, it is really gratifying to know that you are still on the case. And uh, I will cite and uh, refer and share uh, your studies with as many people as possible. Professor Hari Hemela from the University of Helsinki, thank you very, very much for sharing your wisdom and your time. Thank you very much for this interview. I'm very excited to let you know that Flu Fighters, my book, on how to win the Cold War by boosting your natural immunity with non-toxic nutrients is now out, uh, both in paperback and also uh, in Kindle and audio. The book explains how viruses work and where are their weaknesses, why animals that make vitamin C rarely succumb to flu or cancer, the truth about vitamin C and how to use it when you're infected, how black elderberry blocks viral replication, why vitamin D levels crash in winter to make us more susceptible, and other critical immune support nutrients from selenium to zinc, and also how intravenous vitamin C saves lives in those with respiratory distress. And next week in my podcast, I'm going to be talking to two doctors around the world from Australia to South Africa to America who are saving lives with high dose and intravenous vitamin C. If you'd like to know what's happening in the front line in ICUs, tune in next week for my podcast.